we're starting. We we started. Let's just let's just crank this one out. No need to pretend there's an art to this. We got this we got this down at this point. We're gonna call this podcast episode Full Gollum because we're almost as creatively bankrupt as the people writing the show. The reason why will be explained in the summary, which Nick will give as soon as we've introduced ourselves in the podcast. This is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Kyle. Hi, I'm Nick. I don't like the way that we're really just executing at this point and not doing our normal screw around whatever the hell we're talking about kind of thing. Nope. Why not just put it, the podcast is now a guy with a bag over his head, you know, shoved into a ditch. Let's just finish it. Something has happened to you, Kyle. Something is broken inside of you. You're not taking the joy in this that you normally would. We'll just get into it. I feel uncomfortable with this, but here we go. Why do you feel uncomfortable with it? Because you 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 want to Because I've stripped back the veil of artistry and revealed the naked guts of the machine what underneath. Are we, what are we doing if we're not fucking around and trying to have a good time? I'm having a good time. Really because you were, you seem to be wanting to just get this over with as quickly as possible. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm just making it that was a bit I was doing. I'm I I think I think what's scary is that my bit just intersected a little bit too much with the worst version of what this show could actually become. So yeah, okay, we'll turn this into like a very just dry it's, summary. Yeah, of, it's like a it's like a you know a businessman making jokes about how he hates his life and wants to jump off a bridge. It's like that joke actually isn't all that funny if everybody knows that you know Steve's wife left him last week and you know we're all a little worried about him. You know he made those jokes before, but there was a glint in his eye. The glint has slowly faded away. Has anyone checked on Steve? Yeah, the more the glint fades, the more I can see the rolling waters of the great <laughs> the great river into which he's going to throw his own body. And the police will have to fish him out days later, and we'll find cryptic notes in his pocket that are probably just old fortune cookies. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Now we're into the, the grim sadness that we usually deal with. Hey, hey, have a waka waka waka. Um Yeah, well we should just get into it, I guess, finally. Um so in this episode, I mean, we kind of just like summarize it. It's a whole it's Lord of the Rings. Everyone wants the ring parody there. Boom. We did it there. Episode the, over. The ring in question they find in a box full of junk that they got at a garage sale somewhere yes, that's full uh, of novelty nerd stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I really, well, you know what I would rather talk about than the ring itself is so they, what happens is they were on their way to get Chinese food to, to bring back to the apartment and all eat together as per usual. Um, Penny was not with them and was just hanging out at the apartment waiting, which gave the nerds the opportunity to follow someone who they believed was Adam West. Uh, they followed him to a garage sale where they just got a mystery box for 60 bucks. And in the box were a number of random nerd items. They were all excited about it. But the one that I, I would like to talk about for, I don't know, 90 minutes is the ALF doll that they found. Yes. That, uh, Wallow, it's... It's like the secret item in a video game that, like, unlocks, like, a side character's origin. It's basically... Yeah. What this turns into. It's like, you know, how, you know, you're playing Bioshock and if you collect all the tapes, you're like, oh, so this is what was really going on with that guy the whole time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's optional. This is sort of like that. Yeah, exactly. We don't this- have to explore this, but we're going to. We, we need to. We do have to explore it because Wallowitz, uh, he, he has a pretty uh, regular, ongoing, antagonistic relationship with his mother. Loving, but antagonistic. She's very uh, stereotypical, over overbearing Jewish mother. Um, and Wallowitz is Wallowitz. Um, but Wallowitz's dad is never in the picture, and apparently that is because he left at some point when Wallowitz was young, and Wallowitz had imagined, uh, through watching Alf, that his dad had maybe disappeared to the planet Melmac, where Alf is from, 
and that they were going on all their own adventures, and that Alf would someday bring his father back to him. And so Wallowitz has his little Alf doll, which he which he holds uh, lovingly in his hands. Yeah, this is triggered. He finds an Alf doll in the box, and it yes. triggers this flashback to little Wallowitz lying in bed, whole cradling another Alf doll. Yes, waiting for Daddy to come back when when Daddy would never return. Um, I like to think that his daddy also is on planet Melmac, just eating cats the whole time, as the rest of the Melmacians did. You know, we give him a hard time for that, but I don't know why eating cats would be that weird. We give Alf a hard time for that. Don't I? We? I embrace it. Oh, I don't know. Good. But I'm not. I'm not in Alf's family. I'm not the one who has to worry about my cat getting eaten. And I do like cats. I don't know. Would, would I? Would I be more into the love of my cat or more into letting uh, a Melmacian have their natural lifestyle? It's difficult. I um, think. The, it kind of. Did you ever see The Shape of Water? I did. Because the fish dude eats a cat in that, and they totally never, like, they just move on. They were surprisingly okay with the cat dying, yes. That movie has a lot of people just being surprisingly okay with things, though. You know what? Fuck it. We're not talking about the episode anymore. We're talking about Octavia Spencer in that movie, because she is too good of a friend! All right? Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Shape of Water, it's a couple years old. You've, been fair, you've got fair warning now. But I am... My suspension of disbelief has this breaking point. Um, I'm totally willing to believe that Octavia Spencer is the super good friend that is going to help you and your secret facility help bust out a weird fish man and take him home. For some reason, I can believe that. But then when, uh, what is her, Sally Hawkins? Is that the actress's name? I think so. After she fucks the fish man and the next day uh, Octavia Spencer's character learns about it and is just like, mm, girl, that's where I'm like, no. <laughs> Your friend just fucked a fish man. <laughs> you. So. So why are you kink shaming Sally Hawkins? I'm not kink shaming Sally Hawkins. She can. For that matter, is it kink? Now I feel bad. Now I feel like I've come in on a step lower in this. Let me rephrase that. Why are you being uh, specious about your? Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. For some reason, this is okay. Now we have to take a moment to break down some biases because apparently. I'm totally fine with the idea of Robert Pattinson fucking a mermaid. But then the idea, you know, I'm actually fine also. See, there, there's like a layer of separation. I'm fine with the idea of Sally Hawkins' character banging the fish man. I'm not okay with the idea of her friend being so supportive of it. Yeah, I think that's because part of your personal, like, it's just not real to you unless you're being shamed about it. Like, that's the part, that's where the real satisfaction, I think you just, I think it would be better for you if she had to be ashamed about it. It would just be more your thing. Yeah. Me, romance and shame do kind of in, <laughs> entangle deeply with me. Like, if I'm happy in a relationship, I am not happy in a relationship. I have to have something that I'm hiding from the world. <laughs> well, there you go. I knew it. All right. Well, speaking of people not happy in a relationship. So what do or- we think is wrong with... Do we think it... Like, we always assume that... Basically, I assume that some woman... Maybe not hurt Wallowitz, but like he had, you know, he basically had some crush on someone and he couldn't resolve it correctly and it caught him in some kind of state of arrested development. But maybe where he assumes the pseudo identity of like this weird, insatiable ladies man. Mm-hmm. But maybe it goes deeper than that. What if it goes like all the way back to like uh, his dad leaving? Yeah. Maybe his dad left when, let's say, he was 13, uh, about the same time that Wallowitz would be fully blooming into puberty. And the only way that he learned how to comfort himself was with chronic, frequent, shameful uh, masturbation. But then uh, he got he got walked in on by his mom, and he's like, "Oh no, I can't keep doing this. Sex is an acceptable outlet, though. I have to find a lady who will allow me to entangle myself with her." 
in in a passionate tryst, and that becomes his his central goal. He no longer masturbates anymore. He's he's constantly hopped up because he's craving sexual release that he won't allow himself. Maybe, maybe I was just thinking about like his psychological need to like be a man immediately basically the like he's trying to fill the void in his own life by becoming his own father and the only thing he knows about adult men is they fuck Mm, this is also possible and rather than so you think maybe his insatiable need to uh to, to bet a woman is really him trying to fulfill his own father's role in a way uh where he's he he wants to satisfy his mother in a way Oh, yeah, I guess it's pretty, that's pretty classically Freudian, but I think it all fits here. I think so. It, it fits, uh, fits really well, I'll say. <laughs> well, as usual, we have taken something that was probably not intended to be looked at this deeply, and we have found truth. I think so. I, I feel like, whether intentionally or not, this show has layers built into it. Yeah, and- like, all of a sudden, the fact that you never see wallowitz's mother it's because i don't know you know Wallowitz's mother has this really kind of like harsh shrill voice whenever she speaks in the show yeah and so you get the assumption at least i get the assumption that she must then be kind of a a harridan i don't know what that word means a shrew I know what that word means, but I'm not sure exactly how you mean it in this sense with Wallowitz's mom. Well, then finish what you were saying instead of me trying to guess. That was rude of me. I was going to say a bulky uggo. I don't know if... Oh, <laughs> never mind. I was more talking about her personality. You just went to her looks, I see. Well, so that's the thing, though. It's because you get a pretty good idea of her personalities from how she speaks, but you never get to see her. That would be so fun. That would be such a great twist, actually, if she was like... <laughs> She was ridiculously yeah. hot. See, and that's what I'm saying is that Wallowitz... And it would, ex- it would explain a lot about what was going on with him, mm-hmm, frankly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And why he's why he like hides her from his friends. It's like he's really trying to bury his own shame. That's why he, can only, he can't be in the same room with her. He has to shout at her from a distance because he just can't handle his own physiological re- attraction to his own mother. Yeah. And, and the way it calls out to him to fulfill his own loneliness, which he has felt ever since his father's abandonment. So we've covered the first two minutes of the episode so far. <laughs> it's like you said, they find a ring and they basically, you know, the whole joke is, oh, they're fighting as hard over this ring as, you know, people in Lord of the Rings fought over the ring. Only not really because none of them is willing to murder each other. But No, they, they are willing to, the, the, the ultimate way that they, oh, so we, I don't think we actually explained the, the significance of the ring. It's, it's the one ring from the Lord of the Rings, but what they, they realize is through... Um, dealing with Wallowitz's shady underground collectibles broker, um, he learns that there were like nine production rings. Well, even this is a joke. Like you get like it's like the poem. There were nine rings that were made, and three were given to the cast, and then mm-hmm. and then the other set, and then seven were just. They're basically repeating the numbers from the poem about the ring. Mm-hmm. Except one of them escaped yes. destruction because it was stolen. Yes, was stolen off of the set of the the show, of the, of the film, and uh, ended up at this garage sale. And so uh, Leonard is the only one in the group who's like, "This is stolen property. We should probably just give it back to Peter Jackson," uh, though he obviously wants it for himself. Uh, Raj thinks it should be sold so they could buy a jet ski. Wallowitz and Sheldon 
both just want it though i think like what sheldon wants it for himself he's the he's the most golem-esque of the group Wallowitz, is, what does Wallowitz? oh wow we just watched this episode he must yeah, have... his motivations were that unclear i think everyone else is is super straightforward and with what they want Wallowitz is more just an, an agent of the broker i guess he's just the one bringing the information yeah he just wants money yeah but if he just wanted money, he'd be with uh, he'd be with Kuthrapali on this one, and they well, want... except Raj specifically wants the money for a dumb jet ski. A dumb jet ski. Uh oh. Have you have you ever seen anyone on a jet ski and how much fun they have? <laughs> I wish I could be on a jet ski. I can't swim. I would die. You can't swim. I can't swim. You want to talk about that now? <laughs> no, it just makes me sad. What is I'm make... always surprised when people can't swim. I tried. I took swimming lessons as a kid. I just, I sink. I can't kick my legs in the right manner or something. Uh, no wonder you're scared of the guy from The Shape of Water. I'm not scared of him. He is super horny, and that's that's a lot to deal with. It's just, if if you fucked a fish man, I don't know if I would just be like, right on, dude. Well, I would <laughs> hope that you would support me in my life choices. We'd have to talk about it, though. Why? Why is it any of your business? It's not necessarily any of my business until you bring it. If you bring it to me, if I help, oh, are you if saying I help why, you, how dare I? How dare I flaunt my lifestyle in your face? If I help you liberate the fishman, it becomes my business. All right, you can't you can't pretend that we didn't do all these things together, that that we didn't struggle and suffer and work together. So that you can have this relationship, and then afterwards say that like, oh, it has nothing to do with you. Why don't you understand? It has a lot to do with me. You wouldn't be fucking the fish man if it weren't for me. I have some sort of say in this. I don't have control over it, but I have feelings involved. Very interesting. <sighs> Very interesting. That's all you have to say about it. That's all you ever have to say about it, Kyle. Yeah, I think you're. You know, you're. You're. Inter- it's an interesting form of possessiveness that you have just transposed if you introduce two people on a blind date would you feel like you were entitled to all of like to like a voting a voting ballot in their relationship not a voting ballot but if someone i'm allowed to have feelings about it if the guy turns out to be a total jerk or something my friend can't come back to me and be like you have nothing to do with this you introduce me but what do you have to do like i have to be like no i have some responsibility for introducing you to an asshole yeah, I don't like they, the, I don't like the way the person is treating you. But if they ended up getting it on, would mm-hmm. you just be like, "Really, with that guy?" If the guy That's sucked, weird. probably yeah. Why would you introduce someone to your friend if they sucked? Because maybe they didn't know that at first. I see. You learn things. P- people are invested in each other, yeah, Kyle. You just want no man is an island. You just want the ability to override your friend's moral judgment with your own. Not to she override it. To have an opinion tyrant. is all. People are going to do what they're going to do. I have no control over it, but I won't be silenced. <laughs> So what do you think they should have done with the ring? What I think they should have gone for the jet ski, one hundred percent. Oh my god! It's just the to- so. But here's the thing: I um, I am not someone who likes toys. I don't like collectibles. I don't like trinkets or doodads or knickknacks. Um, as you say this, as you're playing with your little model robot, I understand. It's not like I'm against them. It's just like I don't. If if something doesn't have like emotional weight to it like if if it, if i get a little toy or something from a from a friend i'm frustrated because on the one hand i'm like this is a really nice thing i'll remember this but on the other hand i'm like what the fuck am i supposed to do with this thing now i don't i don't want it it's it's like a, it it is nothing but a symbol of a memory um 
And if I buy something like that for myself, then what 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 good is that? That reminds me of the time I went to the store and bought a toy. Um, and so when they find this ring, like it has significance to the extent of like the Lord of the Rings, but they can like the Lord of the Rings without that toy. It's like not like they're gonna forget what a good time they had watching the movie or like growing up with the books or anything because they don't have that ring. Yes, but it can also be a, so. I guess I'm with Sheldon on this one because Sheldon is like. No, we should just keep it and we should, you know, take it out on occasion to go out into the park and reenact our favorite scenes from Lord of the Rings. I mm. like that. It, See, Wallowitz is on board with that. Well, he's obviously torn, but he, again, we get a lot of self, like, I think all of them express this at different points in the episode. They're all slightly self-aware of how sad it is that they all care this much about what the fate of this ring and how much they know about it. But Which, I mean... Why Why do they feel self-conscious about that? They are so earnest and invested in so many other nerdy things that when they finally actually find, like, a studio version of of this ring, like, that's something I think they should all be legitimately and earnestly excited about, um, you know, for them. I still think they are fools. Yeah. But if I were any one of them, I don't think I would feel that kind of shame for it. I think they've just internalized a little bit of nerd self-hatred. They have Penny's judgment there the entire time, too. That's true. That's that's something that wasn't in their lives, I mean, you know, a couple all, years prior. Well, maybe not you. I've definitely felt, in very similar circumstances, like when I realize I can rattle off a piece of, like, arcane continuity or something like that. Um, you know, like the other night, I was playing Dungeons & Dragons with some people, and they didn't have to look up several things in the book because I was there... I just knew those things. And even as I was happy to be able to aid the group and I was providing a valuable resource being able to say, yes, at level five you get two attacks when you are this class, I felt weird that I knew that. Yeah, that's like, I don't know um, everything about Mega Man games, but I played them a lot as a kid. And so for all of the first seven games and a couple of the X games. Like I know the boss orders that you have to defeat them in and I could like blast through them all pretty easily, like a lot of muscle that's, memory. That's I think what it is. I'm not talking about the show anymore. I'm talking about the real life sensation. But maybe it ties back into the show. Is it's just it's a reminder of the time you spent. It's like you start thinking about how much time it normally takes a human being to like learn something. Yes. And and the fact that you spent that amount of time to learn this thing instead of Anything else, which I think we've actually gotten a lot better as a culture with realizing that most, like, mastered knowledge is performative and bullshit. Like, oh, if I could quote all of David Foster Wallace, that would somehow make me a better person. No, we kind of know now that that's also pretentious bullshit. But it is, it's just sort of like, wow, I spent a lot of, and it's, it, it makes you aware of, if you spent that much time, I get, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me, but I can't talk about me without talking about you. Um... It's just like... I'm well, freaking out now. <laughs> it's like, if I spent, you know, 100 hours, 200 hours, probably 500 hours as a kid reading comic books, it's probably a sad, lonely kid. And so I just can't admit, it's just hard. It's Most nerd knowledge is not something that you accumulate in a communal thing. Like, when you know about a lot about football, it's possible that you learned a lot about football by like, hanging out with your friends talking about football. But when you know a lot about Mega Man... Is what makes it sad that it's non-communal, though? Like... I think that's a I, that's just the best explanation I could come up with. It's that it's useless and that it's not even communal. Do you think? Do you think the master, the master craftsman, who has 
refined his his art who can produce the the finest wooden structures or uh you know some other sort of um art like that like regrets that they weren't doing it with their bros the whole time or something like that well i do think he's lonely i mean writers talk often about how like even like you know all their great art it's still lonely and they wish they are like most artists are lonely people and they talk about that but also they have made something so that's that's a little different than oh hey i can recite like the order in which the x-men joined the x-men yeah uh, that's never there is no context in which that puts a roof over anyone's head i yeah i have never created anything through playing a video game i've never benefited anyone else's life through playing a video game right so it's selfish and solitary yes selfish solitary and useless, and useless. yeah that's, so that's the important that's thing the trifecta like um <laughs> to add an to add a layer of sadness to it like playing uh the most recent fire emblem game uh all these all these kids all these child soldiers they like to rattle on about how focused they are on their training. And like, you know, I'm just going to get better and better. I just have to train every day. And I think about like, I, if I should do that with literally any skill of mine, anything, whether that comes to my profession of lawyering, whether that comes to hobbies like cooking, any of that, I should be investing significant regular time in my craft so that I can become better at it, that I can appreciate it more, and that it's something that I can use to benefit the lives of others, and instead, I would much rather just lie around in my room playing video games about other people doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would. I, I, I just want the entertainment more than I want to better myself. Well, but it's not just that. Just to give yourself a little bit off the hook, I think like Wallowitz, you know, you first encounter these things at a time when you don't have a lot of options. It's not like when you were like 12, you had like this... I feel, I mean, and society does judge people for this, but most people, when they're kids, when they first get really into these imaginary worlds, it's not like they have some strong sense of what else they should be doing with their time. It's not like, you know, it is true that it is sort of unfortunate that you have grown into the habit of playing video games instead of being a lawyer, um, I, instead of like, I don't know, studying law or medicine or something like that as an adult, but there's nothing weird about a kid. It would be much weirder if you, as a child, if you were like, you know, you know what, I could be playing Zelda right now, but I decided I would read Grey's Anatomy. Like that would, there, that kid is definitely sadder and more fucked up in the head. Well, although he's probably going to grow up to be much more useful to society. Yeah, I mean that's a kid who definitely was emotionally abused. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think about it now, and I'm like, why did I lean toward video games? It's not like I didn't have friends. It's not like I was. I mean, I, I felt alienated a lot because I I was the weird kid. At least I felt like the weird kid. How much of that was like self inflicted? I, I can't say. But the other part of me um, is like, yeah, but like it was either I like hung out and played video games, or I jumped my bike off of ramps. That was the other big activity I could do as a kid. You know, I I could I could convince my parents that I wanted to go hunting with my other friends or something like that. And I had no interest in any of that. Um, but I guess when does it, what, 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 like the rise of the man child, I think maybe is another issue. Like there's, I think there's so much less stigma anymore around playing video games. It's like such an acceptable thing. But I think 20 years ago, maybe even like 10 years ago, like grown adults playing video games, that was a lot more shameful. That was like, why Why did you not grow out of that? That was a perfectly acceptable thing for you to do as a child. Now you need to like be crafting and providing and growing. And I, I decided I didn't want to do that and that I'd, I'd rather just go on adventures in my television screen. Because you weren't ready then. 
I wasn't ready. I'm not ready now. Well. After we're done with this tonight, you know, however long we're here and hang out afterwards or whatever, I'm going to go home. I'm going to smoke weed. I'm going to play video games. I think, I mean, yeah. So my answer to that is maybe now it is, I, I don't want you to feel bad about it. But if there were a time in your life, well, here's all I'm saying. You don't have to forget feeling bad about it. All I'm saying is it's there's a line from a book that I have not read, but <laughs> as happens a lot, but that has stuck with me because it was quoted in an article I was reading, which is, you know, it is it is always a is the tragedy that most men don't meet uh, the men who should have been their fathers until it is too old for until they're too old for it to have mattered or something like that. It's from Pet Cemetery of all things. We're uh. talking about. Uh, sometimes you find the person who like inspires you to grow up and be a better person, but you're already an adult, and it's just sort of, you know, it would have been much better and more useful, and you would have been a much like more complete human being if you could have found this person like when you were a twelve year old boy. Um, and I think that's true of like whole aspects of our lives. It's like you know there are a lot of things that I'm really into now, like writing and um, writing and um. I can't <laughs> while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. Oh, one of my uh, earbuds fell off of my headphones that I was twiddling with, and I had to make sure I found it. Okay. Did you find it? Yes, mission successful. Okay. So, anyway, yeah, writing, mixed martial arts, a lot of the things that give my life a lot of value and sociability now, they just, uh, you know, I didn't realize how much I needed them, or there weren't, like, a lot of opportunities to, like, engage with them in, like, spaces where I felt comfortable and mentored and whatever when I was a kid. If I had been, would have been a happier kid, would have probably been a more social kid. You know, so maybe there is still a thing out there that that is for you, that if you can just latch onto it and get really into it and force yourself through your comfort zone, it will make you a better person through engaging with it, Uh, you know, and you just haven't found it yet. And it will never be as, you know, you'll never be, unfortunately, you'll never be as good at it as you would be if you had somehow decided to become like a prodigy and get super into it when you were 15. Mm -hmm. But you can still enjoy it and you can still grow and have a more meaningful life because of your engagement with it now. But it was probably not sitting in your basement smoking weed playing video games. We'll see about that, all right? I'm not ruling it out. I'm trying my damnedest. So we're in a weird spot right now because we're at the point in the episode where I would usually say we need to start wrapping up. We have not talked about this episode at all. But there's not much to talk about. This is one of those episodes, I think, where we can just accept that. So last week, I, I, I wanted to deconstruct what we're doing just a little bit because I felt like we don't have strong enough viewpoints on the show to to really give our well. I, I was trying to turn that into something else, but I'm, we don't have strong enough viewpoints on the show. It's like so mediocre that we we can't be fanboys that love it. It's hard to hate it because it's pretty mediocre. And I feel like this episode we've gone. It's gone so extreme in the opposite direction that my opinion on that hasn't changed. But this was just such a milk toast, nothing episode that I'm very comfortable that we didn't really talk about it. Yeah. That, that Wallowitz and his his dreams about Melmac have had us talk about what it is to grow up, and and what we should be doing with our adult lives. And when we're when we're done, when we feel like we've added enough content and are ready to move on to our nerd thing, I'm still totally gonna recommend a video game. Okay, fine. 
I do have actually some thoughts about this episode, but I'm not gonna. That was a great, perfect place to end. So I'll just. I'm with the thoughts that I had about this episode will definitely still apply to some future episode that I will find. If you want to get into it, we can. I nah, I don't want to hold it back. I just. Nah, it's not that important. I don't like talking about the episode that much. I just had them saved up in case we needed them, but we didn't today. Mm-hmm. That's useful. That's like not needing one of your you know spare fairies in a in a dungeon. I, I put that in a video game reference so that you would understand me better. I hope I didn't use the wrong one. Well, now that we've talked all about the episode, it's really time we wrap up. Okay. <laughs> um, I worry that I've already done my nerdy thing of the week before, but it's not going to change it. Um, do you want to go first or shall I? Stardew Valley. There's nothing wrong with re-recommending Stardew Valley. The game is fantastic. <laughs> but no, it's not Stardew Valley. Uh, well, I feel like... Um, I was going to recommend something... Well, I will say, originally I was going to recommend Picard. It's not, like, great, great... It's not, like, the best thing ever, but, it, you know, it is nice to see Patrick Stewart playing Jean-Luc Picard again. And it's nice to see Star Trek back on TV in, a, like, a, like, a version of Star Trek that I recognize, meaning, like, a lot of techno-babble jargon that doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, vaguely optimistic, weird bore. It's just, like, you know, it's comforting and nostalgic while still being fairly... Fairly high production values and well written and well done, I think. Nice. Um, but since we, since this episode was ostensibly about Lord of the Rings, I was going to tie it into a comic book I've been reading a lot of recently called "Die" by Kieran Gillen. Kieran Gillen is the type of person who would, uh, who would create a comic book called "Die" and then would actually have the balls to write an essay in the back, being like, "You understand, it's a play on words," um, which means to say. Smart, very obnoxious, but a brilliant writer and a much better writer probably than I will ever be. Um, And it's about a bunch of... So it's literally about a bunch of adults. Well, when they were were teenagers, they got trapped in a role-playing game that they were playing, like the cartoon Dungeons & Dragons from the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that show came out. Mm -hmm. Only it was a real dark, like real... Like, it was a scary, grimdark, pen-and-paper RPG universe, and they got trapped there as their classes for, like, three years, and they finally broke out, but they they were so traumatized that they could never talk about what happened to them. And then as adults, they go back. And that's the whole comic book, in a nutshell. And it's like an expert... It's an exploration of, like, you know, fantasy games and fantasy tropes and, like, pen-and-paper and how it's evolved and, like, you know different types of nerds and why different people get obsessed with all of this stuff and the different types of wish fulfillment that they engage with. It's Like I said, it's all very good stuff. It's a very dark comic book, but it's very well written. And it actually, as much as I was giving him shit, the best part is in the back of every issue, he writes like essays about his thoughts and sort of things that define the issues and different aspects of, you know, personal history and whatever. It's all, I like it a lot. Nice. Um, well, I will recommend a game that I just started playing again. I abandoned it for a few months after playing it pretty heavily. Um, I'm still never sure quite how to pronounce the title because it's, it's spelled just Y-S. I believe it is Ys. Um, but I'm playing Ys 8. Um, it is a very long running... That would be Lacrimosa of Dana? Lacrimosa of Dana. And now that you've said that out loud, I am pretty confident I've recommended this before because I think on the podcast we talked about what the word lacrimosa <laughs> means. It means tears or crying. Yes, yes, which I did not know uh, and learned, and I'm probably just repeating it again. But uh, if I have recommended it before, I don't give a shit. Um, it's a great game. It's uh, what I will say is that it's it's a uh, it's an action RPG, very much run around hack and slashy 3D environments. 
But I think what really sells it is um, the environment and the characters. Because what it is is um, your character, uh, Adol Christian, is just, a, he's a fairly generic young anime adventurer. Like, he's just going around solving problems, killing monsters, living his life, free as a bird. Um, nothing wrong with any of that. It's just, you know, pretty tropey. Um, but he is shipwrecked uh, on an island, and he goes about finding all the other surviving passengers on the ship he was on, the Lombardia. And it's the characters, I think, that really bring it together. Like, you you end up creating your own little settlement and doing what you can to survive, and everyone on the island serves their own special role. But it's just one of those things where, like, it's ultra anime, where, like, they're just really friendly and charming characters that you have that you're working alongside. Uh, it's, you don't have many people who were, like, really trying to undermine what's going on. Like, it's a legitimately, like, supportive environment. And so you're not distracted by internal squabbles as much as you are just going out and killing beasts. Ah, yes. The other golden thing about anime, which is just living in a supportive environment where people, you know, generally support each other. And you don't have to worry about how to pay for health care. Yeah, yeah. Well, because a doctor is also washed ashore with you, and you just have to give him different collections of leaves, which he can turn into potions that will fill an exact percentage of your general life force. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was. I did think it was like I haven't played any of those games, but I didn't realize they all had the same protagonist. And I was thinking about how weird it was to have like an RPG that actually had like a continuing protagonist, and he just resets at like level one at every game. Yeah, basically. Um, it's sort of interesting. Well, and this is only the second of any of these games I've played. Apparently, a lot of them have not had wide statewide releases. Right. Like, they, apparently, it's huge in Japan, but it's remained particularly niche over Hura. Um, but I did play one on the Super Nintendo. I think it was Wanderers of East or like East 3 or something like that. Um, and that one is just like a, a side scrolling action RPG, which I enjoyed, but I think probably isn't really that good honestly um but east 8 it's uh it's a lot of fun i think you played me some of the music from it i like it a lot the 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 song that plays when you arrive on the island is my fucking number one jam recently it is the song that makes me want it's like if i were to ever go on an adventure uh alongside the coast it is my ultimate number one pump up music it it prepares you to to go out and face the unknown, and just slash away at your problems. It's ah, uh, it feels good. You know what? You've convinced me. I think Nick, it's finally time. It's time to abandon our lives, abandon Los Angeles, abandon our real jobs and responsibilities. I've already done two thirds of these things. And just start wandering down the highway. Just not even a car. We'll earn the car somehow. You know, three fourths of the way through our journey. Yes. But- and, and the car will allow us to fast travel, and that's how we'll learn that we've, in 10 years of exploring, have covered approximately eh, three square miles. <laughs> take off, I'm sure, if we just start walking down, like, the coastal highway. Someone's going to tell us that, like, you know, goblins stole their, you know, their pet eventually. But you know what we'd both be, would need to be willing to do, which I think holds me back from a number of adventures? What? Uh, talk to strangers. <laughs> no, that's because they just come up to you, right? They're like, "Hey, pardon me, there." You well, look no, like a tardy type. But I'm, I'm saying, even if they come up to me, like, 
we, we would still have to be able to engage. Like, if a stranger talks to me on the bus, I'm doing everything I can to just dismiss them. That is true. I think that that is, because now that you mention it, probably the closest thing to, like, a side quest that I've ever encountered in real life is people asking me for directions, which is also, like, the easiest side quest imaginable, right? Mm-hmm. It's always just like, how do I get to X? And it's always like, I don't know. I'm terrible with directions. Sorry. Bye. Yeah. I, uh, I always do my best uh, to give them the directions, but I think I'm very bad at explaining them and have probably led many a lost soul yeah, exactly. towards their ultimate like, I'm, demise. Like, I'm not gonna... I'm just gonna get you more lost, person. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's the kind of adventurer I am. The one who has hope in my heart, means to do well, but is just... just incompetent. <laughs> that's the game I want to play, where I, I swing my sword and I end up cutting myself and getting an infection and dying on the beach. That's me. 